Well, good morning, People's Church family. If you would turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Beginning at verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we come to this text that you would open it to us in the power of your Holy Spirit. Seal it to our hearts, cause us to be reflective, reflecting on our own spirit, our own heart. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's spring cleaning time. Even under our present lockdown, there are things to tidy up in the yard, things to wipe down in the house, to take off winter's dust. Kids might be dragging out their basketballs in their sandboxes. Teenagers might be oiling their chains on their bikes. And maybe dad is getting ready to wash the car. And of course there are the windows. There's something about the spring sun that shines onto the windows and you can suddenly see all the fingerprints and handprints that were collected throughout the winter. Spring is always a good time to wash the windows. One of our windows is 
very low. And now you can see it in the spring sun that it has on it a lot of dog drool. <laughs> and you can see imprints of our, our dog's nose on the glass where he looked out all winter into the backyard. That which was difficult to see before becomes clear. You know what's really difficult for some people to see? For some, it is so difficult for them to see or to acknowledge their own sins. They will use excuses, rationalizations, justifications. They will use strategies like anger, deflection, irritation, debating. They'll try anything to avoid what is so obvious that they are a sinner. The windows of their soul are covered in sin's dust. It's like night inside their heart while out there the sun is shining. Now it's easy to point out the sins of others. It's another thing to see your own sins. Paul has gone through a considerable list of sins in chapter 1. Sins that the population generally were involved in. And, and how those sins carry within themselves God's judgment. The sins become the punishment as people deal with the consequences of their behavior. And now in chapter 2, he enters into an imaginary dialogue with a man who loves to point out the sins of other people, but is blind to his own failings. And so in verse 1 he says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? The one who judges is doing the very same thing that he judges in other people. And notice how he begins with the phrase in verse 1 that they have no excuse. That same phrase was used in chapter 1. It'll be used again in chapter 3. This was used to describe the typical Roman pagan who suppressed the truth of God. They have no excuse before God because the issue is not that they don't know God. The issue is that they suppress the truth of God. And now here, the one who judges other sinners while blind to his own sins is likewise without excuse before God, no matter how many excuses they try. The end of chapter 1 was about those who were guilty of sin, loving it when other people were sinning because... Uh, 
because if everyone's guilty, then no one's guilty. They can feel good about themselves. But here in chapter 2, he pivots a little bit. And things are just a little different in focus. We have some people that he's talking to, this oh man, this typical type of, of person who love when other people sin so that they can present themselves as innocent, as morally superior to those who are sinning. And that's a, a fine distinction. Paul's imaginary debate with this man, the one who judges, assumes that the judger is part of the Roman church. He's speaking about a type of person who's drawn to churches because churches generally care about morality. But there's a type of person drawn to churches because they want to feel superior to everyone else. And yet they themselves don't repent. Verse 4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his, God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. See, they don't repent. Uh, what's to repent of? They don't feel that they are really sinners. They're hard in their hearts, he says. They're impenitent. They're unable really to grasp their own failings, their own flaws and their own sins. And their own judgment is coming, he says. They can take pleasure in denouncing the sins of other people, in being scandalized by the sins of the world, but they're doing the same things themselves. He says, you practice the same sins. You do them yourself. And not only do they look down on other people, they also look down on God himself. He says this in verse 4, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance? His grace, you're presuming on God's grace. That word presume, it means to despise. You despise God's grace. The grace of God is his un, undeserved favor. You see, they look down on that because they think they deserve favor. They think they deserve God's blessings because they're just so better than everyone else. It is true that people tend to criticize in others what they themselves are guilty of. The modern term for this is called projection. You project your failings onto someone else and then you accuse them of it. An example might be if someone were to say to you, I sense you have a critical spirit, but they're unable to give any example or meaningful uh, content to their accusation. Just, I, I sense you have a critical spirit. In this case, most likely the one who speaks those words, the accuser, is the one with the critical spirit. They are projecting their own sin 
onto somebody else. Uh, the human heart can go to great lengths to present itself as innocent. It's been said that we are lawyers when it comes to our own failings, and we are judges when it comes to the failings of others. Now, there is a place for judging. There is a place for judging deeds. We have courts that are supposed to judge criminal deeds of people. We look at what people do, and we have enough evidence sometimes to draw conclusions about their behavior. But what we're not to do is to judge when we're doing the very same thing ourselves, sometimes secretly. Jesus teaches this in a number of places in the Gospels. One such place is in Matthew chapter 7, where he says, Judge not that you not be judged. He says, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Take the log out of your own eye first, before you take it out of somebody else's eye. You see? Deal with your own issues first. Deal with your own sins first before you point the finger at someone else. You know, we lack the omniscience to judge the heart of people, the secret place of the heart. Only God knows the secrets of the heart, the Bible says. The Bible says, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Only God knows the heart of a man or woman and the purposes there and the motivations there. We can judge the deed, the exterior, but we lack the ability, we lack the purity, we lack the impartiality, the understanding to judge the heart of other people. And it takes humility and wisdom to be cautious and not do it, to not say it, to not go there. It takes some restraint and it takes compassion and a healthy awareness of your own sinfulness to avoid the trap of judging someone else's heart. You know, there was a lady who complained about her neighbor's laundry. She could see the laundry hanging on the clothesline of her neighbor's backyard from her own kitchen sink as she did the dishes, she would complain. She would say, well, look at how dirty those clothes are. She loved to complain about her neighbor's laundry. Look at her dirty laundry. She doesn't even know how to do laundry right. She's probably a bad housekeeper too. Her home is probably a mess inside. Look what her husband has to put up with. And on and on it went. And one day she noticed her neighbor's laundry hanging on the line. Well, they were white as snow. <laughs> oh, she said, I guess finally someone learned how to do their laundry. No, said her husband. 
I cleaned your window. <laughs> that hits a little close to home, doesn't it? Now this letter to the Roman churches was written by Paul in the early years of Nero's reign. Nero was Caesar. At this time, he was probably 20 years old. His teacher was Seneca, the philosopher. And Seneca believed that Nero was going to usher in a golden age of morality in Rome. Even the, uh, the leaders were concerned about the depravity of the people and what was going on. And so they had great hopes for Nero. <laughs> uh, and so there was a great push on. The bureaucracies and the educators were all pushing morality in Rome. And, and what was happening is that pagan lovers of morality were making their way into churches. They loved morality, but they didn't love Christ. They were bringing in with them into churches their pride, their arrogance, their judgmentalism, and passing themselves off as moral, morally superior, looking down on other people. To look down on other people takes a worldly heart. That's not a Christian heart. And the warning is stark in verse 6 down to verse Verse 10, where he uses words for such a one as facing the wrath of God and the fury of God and tribulation and distress. You know, they, if you think you're something special, you think you're superior, that you're up here and other people are down here morally, but to God, everyone has no excuse. Everyone has dirty windows. And to God, there's no partiality. Look at verse 11. For God shows no partiality. Not between a Gentile or a Jew. There's no morally superior person. Everyone has sinned. Look how he begins verse 12. For all who have sinned, we are more like our neighbors than we might care to admit. I remember a neighbor who was a landscaper. He spent his days out there working on people's yards. But his own home, while well, his yard was a bit of a mess, <laughs> he used all his energy and effort to work on other people's yards. He had nothing left for his own yard. And people who are judging are a little like that. They use their energy and their effort to point out and to denounce other people and, and their lives, but they, they're not taking the time to really look at their own heart, their own behavior, to do some spring cleaning in their own life. You know, everyone puts up Christmas lights at Christmas, don't they, on their homes. Every home sort of blends in with all the Christmas displays. And in churches, there are those who blend in with Christians. They're not in church because they are sinners who need the grace of God in Christ Jesus. They're there in church because they like places that value morality. They like their kids to be taught good morals. 
They like to be seen as moral and upright. But when the sun shines and the spring comes, well, the Christmas lights come down, don't they? There's no blending in anymore when the sun is shining. And the truth is seen. It's seen that they actually, as he says, despise the grace of God. They look down on his patience, his kindness, his forbearance to them. They despise his grace because deep down, they don't really think they need grace. And Christians, you need to take care here. Because those who are in churches because of morality, not because of Christ. Well, it's like they leave up their storm windows all year. In their heart, they're looking for a fight all the time. They're, they're so hard on other people. And what they need in their heart is compassion for other people, humility of spirit, and sympathy for other people. They tend to want to take on the world in their moral superiority, but they are the world in the church. And this COVID time is seeing some house cleaning going on in the Church of Christ around the world. He's bringing to light what was hidden. He's revealing uh, what we hadn't seen before. He's bringing fresh air to what was stale and musty. And the consequence is there's a dividing happening, a dividing. We're experiencing a divide around the world in Christian churches between love and hate peace and fear gentleness or rage patience or resistance and you have to choose your side very carefully it might be time for some spring cleaning in your own life you know for all of nero's posturing for all of Seneca's hope of a, of a new golden age of morality in Rome, well, in time, Nero would murder his own mother. He would murder two of his wives. He would order Seneca, his teacher, to commit suicide, which he did. He would burn a section of the city to make room for a golden palace and he would blame it on the Christians. He would have Christians put into animal skins and torn apart by dogs. And of course, Paul himself was beheaded under Nero's reign. You know, when windows are installed in a home, great effort is made to make everything level a shim or two, or a tap here, or a tap there. And what we are finding in the first three chapters 
of Romans is God is leveling people. No one has an excuse. No one. Not pagans who might want to say they know nothing about God. No, no excuse. And not those who might believe they're better than everyone else. No, no excuse. He's tapping down those who have raised themselves up. He's raising up those who have bowed down. All have sinned, he says, for all who have sinned. And he'll go on in verse 12 and following and show that it doesn't matter whether you have the Ten Commandments as a Jew memorized or whether you've never even heard of the Ten Commandments. In fact, he'll say that someone who's never even heard of the Ten Commandments can still keep some of the commandments because they're written on their hearts. In verse 15, he says that they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness bears witness to them. Sin is never so intensive that a person cannot ever do something good. Even our fellow Canadians can love their spouse and love their kids and and they know it's wrong to murder. People are not as bad as they might be or could be, but they're not as good as they ought to be or must be for heaven. Everyone's a sinner who needs a savior. And the savior is given by God, Jesus the Christ. The judgment that we deserve fell on him, that we put our faith in him, we repent of our sins, we believe that he died for us. And we have life in his name. We have forgiveness for our sins. And yes, God alone can look into the heart of a man or woman and rightly judge. And when that happens, you want the Savior to be standing in front of you. Verse 16, look there. On that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. You know, spring cleaning. Spring cleaning takes some work. It takes some effort, doesn't it? To get off winter's couch and do what needs to be done. How are your windows? Not your neighbor's windows, but your windows. For some of you, it's long past time for you to do some spring cleaning in your soul. The windows of your soul, well, sin's stain is deep and pervasive. And you're not going to be able to get it off. You're not going to be able to clean sin off of the windows of your soul. But there is a servant who can. And there is a servant who will. If you ask him. And Jesus died for your sins. To wash them away. To cleanse your life of sin. And to grant you forgiveness for your sin. And to make you new. 
repent of your sins and ask of him. His blood will cleanse every stain. And he'll open up the windows of your soul. And he's going to let new life in. He'll let fresh air in. And you'll be looking out into the world. And what you'll see, well, your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. And you will see a land that stretches afar. And as you look on your neighbors, you won't be looking with a judgmental, critical spirit at them. You'll be looking at them through a cleansed soul. And you're going to have compassion on them. Because they are harassed. They're helpless. And they need Jesus too. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray that your word would be powerful to our hearts and that you would convict any who are listening who are in the church for the wrong reasons because they love morality, but they don't love Jesus. Oh, Father, teach them, show them that they are sinners and that they too need the grace of God, that they need your undeserved favor in the, the giving of your son, Jesus. Oh, Father, that they might not despise your grace or to look down on your kindness to them and your forbearance and your patience. We pray that they might repent truly understanding their own need and their own fallenness and knowing that you'll come in clean their life you'll cleanse them by the blood of your son and you'll give them a whole new life and a new future heavenly father help us as christians in the church to be careful and not to get caught in or recruited into a judgmental spirit as we look out at our world. As we look out, help us to look at everyone, whether they're in government, education, media, entertainment, or just neighbors down the street, to know how they need Jesus too. To know that they're... Their lives are, are full of pain and hurts and sins and to look at them with compassion and the very compassion of Christ. And so, Father, thank you for our time in your word this morning. Bless us in the week ahead too. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.